For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is New Bedford's News Talk Station, the place where the South Coast comes to talk about all the hottest issues locally and beyond. This is WBSL. Call in to have your voice heard at 508-996-0500 or open up the WBSM app and hit app chat to text us or open line to leave us a voicemail. Let's hear it, South Coast. And welcome back in third and final hour here of the program this morning. Again, Tim Weisberg filling in, covering the mornings uh, while we are in the transition post fill. And uh, Brian Thomas will be filling in for me later on. Really quickly, I just want to read a couple of app chat messages that came in. Uh, always whining in New Bedford said, you're right, Timmy, 98.5, the Toucher and Rich show. Way better than you, clown. Say that on the air, pal. Well, I did, except Toucher and Rich uh, apparently hate each other now. And won't go on the air with each other. Have you not been following along with those stories? Um, Chad Finn at Boston.com has been reporting on it. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting to give a read. If you get a chance, check out Chad Finn's article at Boston.com. Um, let's see. We got, uh, we got uh, how can anybody not like you, Tim? Keep up the good work. Thanks, Cooper in North Attleboro. And... Um, DSY in New Bedford said, Phil wouldn't have made it in today anyway. He was at Tavares last night. So, uh, well, that's because he doesn't have to get up early anymore in the morning. So he can go out and enjoy things like that on a school night. You know, not like uh, not like in the old days. So I'll be going to bed early. He'll be the one that's out, you know, staying up till 11, 12 o'clock at night. I don't know. I don't know if he will. He's, he's a lifelong morning early riser. So I don't know that he will. Uh, well, let me take this quick phone call, Jack, and then we can get into turning on the light good morning you were on wbsm hello good morning tim how are you good to have you on the spot thank and, you um i want to say welcome to it uh talking about getting to work late on a radio station or uh, i have a story that's pretty pretty close to that or much more much worse than that uh, or, or more embarrassing for someone else this guy was a uh, this dj on a classical radio station up in boston and he did like like the the graveyard shift he, shift he did from like I don't know one to one to four or whatever, and uh, and back then he uh, he would pile on a stack of of uh, albums of classical albums, and then he would just let them play. Well, he fell asleep while they were playing, and he had one of those uh, mics that was uh, sound activated, and so once all the albums finished playing, all you could hear him was snore for about forty five minutes. <laughs> oh, no. Needless to say, that was the end of his career. <laughs> Well, I hope that that doesn't happen here. I hope you don't catch me snoozing on, on the air. But if, yeah, if you do, be a little right. bit kinder to me. All right. Take Thank care. you for the call. Have a good day. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I, I, don't think, uh, I don't think I'll fall asleep in this shift, but you never know. I do have narcolepsy, so you never know what might happen. All right. Well, we're going to turn on the light with Jack Spillane. For those of you who are new to this segment, we always cue them in with a little bit of the Rolling Stones. Good morning, Jack. How are you? The light is shining early this morning. Yeah, thanks for coming in earlier. 
And uh, we've got a lot that we can discuss, but just kind of, you know, your thoughts on just what's gone on in the city in the past week. Well, I, you know, I, I've been working on a column. I haven't finished it yet. I, we were discussing it off here on um, uh, Representative Markey's um, blasting of the, the mayor last week on your South Coast Tonight show. And um, it's just another indication of um, the poor relationship that um, several of the delegation members in particular, um, uh, several city councilors, and it, it all gets tied up with the mayor and the mayor's conduct. So we'll see where that goes. Um, uh, uh, otherwise, the city's been kind of quiet. I, I think we, we had that recent story in the New Bedford Light on the um, our public records request, which they have um, charged us for, but not you know, not delivered. Um uh, if you want to talk about that, yeah. Well, this is and so this is something that let's let's kind of tell everybody a little bit behind the scenes how it works for a public records request. So a lot of times you can just send an email with a you know, and it doesn't even have to be a formal form or anything. You know, you can just send an email requesting this information. Some people do like to use a formal form. Uh, there is a you know a way that you can do it formally if you want to, but you basically just ask for this information. A lot of municipalities will just give you those records. Uh, they may be redacted because there might be some information in there that they don't, they don't want to have you know, released to the public or that they can't for privacy reasons, but normally they will, turn, they will turn over those documents. The city of New Bedford, their process is that they do charge for the collection of those records for you. Yes. Um, now, uh, I've had them honor them when they're a small, it, it's, it's a lot, small amount of records, but the larger it is, they do tend to charge. But the issue here is that this is a police misconduct that's the background of it. It's a, the New Bedford Light is, is seeking records uh, relative to poli a police misconduct case. And the city is citing that that's a personnel matter. Well, personnel matters are exempt from the public records law of Massachusetts, but not when they involve misconduct of a police officer. And so we have no idea what grounds they're um, standing on. We've appealed the case. and um, But now that they all, we've also appealed the fact that they didn't supply us with the records. They charged us the money, but they're claiming that they they fulfilled the request by responding to us. We're not going to give it to you, <laughs> which is pretty outrageous. Um, the New Bedford Light has had a long history of um, public records requests that the city has given us a hard time on. I believe other local media have also, and uh, I think it's a problem for the city. They, they, their instinct seems to be not to give uh, the information rather than to give it. Uh, and I was reading in, in Anastasia's article about it, uh, which you can read at newbedfordlight.org. So I guess the, they asked about getting the money back and what's going on with not getting the records to the city solicitor's office. The city solicitor's office said, talk to the mayor's office about it. Then the mayor's office said, you have to talk to the city solicitor's office about it. Yeah, that very much sounds like passing the buck. And it also sounds like the mayor's office politicizing the public's records request um, process. You know, um, I agree with this mayor on a lot of things, some things I don't agree with him on. His behavior on public records requests, I think, is is, is, is not impressive. Um, uh, I have had my own public records request that, in fact, I have one in right now that I've been going back and forth on for months because of how much they want to charge me for it and the lack of guidance and to help me narrow that down to save the cost. We're a nonprofit newspaper. We can't afford to be paying a lot of money. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't understand it. I, I think that their impulse should be to fill them, not to, to try to avoid them. So... And, and to, to get people a better understanding of it, the, the money that is charged uh, is they cite the reason for that is because they have to take people away from doing their regular job to spend the time to go and fulfill these records requests. Okay. If, if, I mean, I, I think that that 
kind of explanation can be exaggerated. You know, I mean, how much time does it really take? Everything is computerized nowadays. A lot of searches are just a matter of clicking a button or asking the right question and, and getting the, the data that you want. So I would have to be convinced that sometimes they will send us an estimate that includes hundreds of hours or tens of hours. You know, I'm a little skeptical of that. Maybe it does. I mean, I understand that they have the right to charge something, you know, for uh, if it does take employees away from their regular job. But I think particularly on sensitive um, nature ones that I, I question some of their estimates. I'm, well, my guess is that a lot of that, that, that those time hours involved in it comes from not pulling the record itself, but from passing it on to the city solicitor's office and have them see what needs to be redacted out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, again, I think that, you know, um, the redaction process, how long they say it takes and how long it might actually take, you know, I, it, it raises questions in my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't, I haven't been a professional redactor. I will give by way of comparison. I've had two or three public records requests for the city council in the last um, uh, six months, and they've all been filled quickly. And, you know, I, you know I, I have had some public records requests from the mayor's office that were filled in a timely manner, but I've also had some that, that were not. And the New Bedford Light, as an institution, has had a lot that, that they've given us a hard time on. Yeah, and you're right. You, you think that you would want to supply the information as much as you can, especially Mayor Mitchell's office, which has lamented so much the lack of a media in this area covering these issues. Yes, um, you can lament the lack of a media, but you also can want the kind of media that you want. And a media that's going to be questioning a lot of the things that you do maybe is not the media that, that, that you would actually like. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that... Um, Certainly uh, a public records request on a matter of a police misconduct matter, you know, is something uh, I, I don't I, I mean, maybe there's something not, not nothing in the article that that explains why they, they view a police misconduct matter as exempt from the public records request. Maybe it's there and I don't understand it. But just on the surface of what I've read, I don't I don't see why you would be denying it. That's a police misconduct is a serious matter that the public has a right to know about. Especially when you think about, you know, the report that came out a while ago about the New Bedford Police Department, when the Boston Globe story that came out recently about an officer and, and an inappropriate relationship with a, with a suspect's, you know, significant other. A, a police officer being found guilty of fraud mm -hmm. uh, regarding union dues within the past couple of years. So there's, you would think that this would be the, the department where you would most want to have the most transparency. Absolutely. All right, well... You mentioned the city council. I want to bring up the fact that um, I, I talked with Council President Morad on Friday, and she mentioned you know that they had the housing committee meeting, they had Josh Amaral in, and that they spent a couple of hours really you know diving into this. So as we talked about before, the questions may not be on the ballot, but the conversations are still ongoing about what those questions entailed. And certainly the housing question uh, continues on, which I know is something that you felt needed to happen. Even if the question wasn't on the ballot, this was a sign that the conversations need to be there. They need to take place with all the interested parties. Yes, I have no doubt that New Bedford has a housing crisis uh, on rents and on the price of housing. Now, you can say that, oh, other cities cost more to live in than New Bedford. Yes, but when people are used to paying a certain rent in the city and off, all of a sudden it goes up, people are used to being able to buy property in the city and all of a sudden it skyrockets up, it's a problem. 
and we have a large blue collar population here. I think I think we need to be responsive to that. New Bedford, I think, is a city of 35, 40% renters. To be fair, as soon as the overrides, the override and rent stabilization failed a few weeks ago, Councilor Shane Burgo, who was the sponsor, immediately said he was going to hold public hearings. Sounds like he started to do that now. Um, uh, all the councilors agree that this is a problem. To me, and I said this in my columns, this is the process that should have taken place to begin with, rather than proposing it and putting it on the ballot all in one night. And I do think that they need to have the realtors and the um, Chamber of Commerce, the business community, if there's a landlord's association, uh, in as part of the conversation. Certainly they should have the progressive groups, like um, Coalition for Social Justice, um, any of the groups that are active on uh, renter issues and things like that. Everybody should be at the table, and let's try to come to some sort of solution. Now, sometimes when you have everybody at the table, you get a solution that nobody is happy with, that, that uh, it goes too far for both sides and not far enough for either. So that's what compromise is about in American government. Well, I've, I think Councillor Burgo is supposed to be joining me next with Councillor Council President Morad. I mean that on, on Friday next. Like, that's the next conversation we'll have. And I'm going to ask him, because when he was here on South Coast tonight... Uh, Chris McCarthy questioned him quite a bit about the lack of meetings that he'd had with this housing committee and the fact, again, same thing that you're saying, that these conversations didn't start there and and start in that regard. And I, I want to talk to him more about that because I think what he's shown with this question and the reaction to it is people do want to have these conversations. So whereas you might not have been able to schedule them, maybe you couldn't get the people involved to take part, people are now actively engaged in it, and it is the time to, to strike on it, and it is the time to do it, you know, for lack of a better term, the right way, to have these conversations go on. And I want to get an idea, a sense of, you know, how he wants to direct that. Because it's one thing now that you've got all the stakeholders coming to the table you have to, you can't just be, you know, just a gripe session every time you all get together. It's got to be moving the, moving the question forward. And I want to know how they plan on doing that because now that you've got everybody that's interested involved in it, like you said, you're not going to, you're not going to have agreements all the time. How do you keep bringing them back to the table and keep them from feeling like it's a waste of their time to go and have these conversations? Yeah. Um, I, I have disagreed with Chris slightly on this. Um, I, I know he only, uh, Councillor Burgo only held, I think, four meetings in the year that Councillor uh, Abreu, when he was president, appointed him to chair the housing committee, which was a big plum because he was a freshman councillor to be uh, appointed to chair such a committee. But he was meeting with uh, the Coalition for Social Justice, the other progressive groups. There, there, there are three or four of them. I'm forgetting their names now. And he was meeting with them, um, and they're the ones who developed the rent stabilization thing. As I've said, they should have inv uh, invited the other side. So he was holding meetings, but he was not holding the kind of meetings, and I think Chris is right on, on, on this, the kind of meetings that would bring everybody into mm -hmm. the conversation. And, and um, it sounds like he's doing that now. Um, I'm not sure he would put it that way, but at least the conversation is taking place because it's a serious issue. But yeah, but you've got to keep them at that table. And that's going to be a hard thing to do if if it seems like there's only one approach that's being taken. Like, so, for example, if you're coming into this, like, we, we just want to find a way to have rent stabilization, you're going to have the landlords and, and the realtors just walk away from the table there. And conversely, if you just say, we're not doing rent stabilization under any circumstances, you're just going to have the progressive groups walk away from the table. That's the problem. 
I mean, these are people who have deep philosophical disagreements. Now, rent stabilization is supposed to be different than the old rent control. It's supposed to have measures by which you can increase rents for uh, every year, uh, measures by which you can exempt um, new development and mom and pop owned uh, places. So we can have that conversation. But if the philosophical disagreements are so deep that after a few meetings, they, they, as you point out, they just say we can't, we can't agree. So where do you go from there? Then maybe you do say we had the public hearings. They can't agree. You know, I am a philosophical progressive counselor. My name is Shane Burgo. I'm going to spend, sponsor this. I would say this time he should come up with a specific proposal so that it wouldn't be a vague thing. Should we have rent stabilization or not? Everybody wants rent stabilization. Who wants skyrocketing rents? So it should be a specific proposal. This, 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 and this is what we're going to do. And then people can debate. You know, should we put it on the ballot? Should you collect signatures? Should you just put it on the ballot? And then we can go from there. All right. Well, why don't we take our break here? We'll be back in a few moments. We're turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. You can read all of his columns at newbedfordlight.org. We'll be back in a few moments. And welcome back. We are turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. And you can call in at 508-996-0500. Jack, something we can talk about now before we take a break for the news and then we can pick up afterwards a little bit is we were just talking off air about these. There's a number of school committee races coming up. Uh, there's a lot of local elections that have been going on. Right now, there's a lot of focus on what's going on in the old Rochester towns, the Tri-Town area, whether it be the individual town school committees or the old Rochester school committees. There's a lot of debate and discussion about the books that are in the library, although that issue has been settled. There's a lot of people who are coming out and trying to say, hey, these, you know, we're not against the LGBTQ population. We just don't want it you know, sent out to our kids. We want to be the ones to decide about that with our kids. Well, as it turns out, some of them are actually posting anti-LGBTQ things on social media and people are discovering this and putting it out there. I mean, we're seeing this. There's an ideology behind this that they're trying to hide. Yeah. So inevitably, when you have these um, extreme positions, if you scratch them a little bit, what you will find in the social media posts is that people are coming from a, from a, a very far right or far left ideological position. And once again, I don't know whether they were uh, social media postings or emails or whatever, but they have surfaced showing that the person really is anti-LGBTQ. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, you would think that we had fought this issue 10 years ago and that it was all over. But evidently, the Republican Party, and I, I will say this, you know, nationally, the Republican Party sees this as a, a wedge issue that where they can make hay. Uh, their economic policies tend to be unpopular. So... They, they think they can can use this. They've used it in Florida. They've used it in a bunch of other states to try to make it that you can't talk in school about issues that are on kids' minds. I, I mean, in Florida, they started off, it was going to be less than third grade, and now they've exp expanded it to the whole school system. So kids in high school can't talk about LGBTQ issues. I'm here to tell you, kids in high school are going to be talking about LGBTQ issues. It's, it's crazy. Uh, and what's funny is, you know, the the all of the all of the conversation from one side of it is they shouldn't be politicizing school and politicizing our children to push their agendas. That's exactly what the other side is doing too. Yeah, it's it's, it's accusing your enemy of what you are doing, which I, I think Trump is, is is really good at. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. We had this issue in Dartmouth in the Dartmouth School Committee races a month ago, and the anti LGBTQ 
candidates went down. Are the other are the candidates who are perceived that way? I, I I think they might object to being categorized that way themselves, but who are taking those positions lost by a wide margin. So I don't know. We'll see what happens in in ORR. This is Massachusetts. You know, it is not the South. It is not the Midwest. Um, I'll be surprised if these issues prevail, even in our conservative towns. This, it, our conservative towns tend to be fiscally conservative, but not socially conservative like this. So this is, to me, a minority group of people who really want to, to bring everybody else onto their you know, um, uh, point of view on this issue. And there are certain, I, I know you talked about you know, the party lines, but there are certain organizations that are pushing this at a grassroots level that are supporting these candidates because it's getting out the message like the Mass Family Institute. That's a group that is supporting a lot of these candidates in these local school committee races. And that's kind of setting the agenda for where a lot of these candidates are going. Yeah, but the, these, these um, the, uh, the Mass Family Institute, they, they have long connections to the Republican Party. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, but you can't really say, oh, it's equal, it's Democrats and Republicans. There may be a Democrat here or there who takes these positions, but the overwhelming majority of people taking these positions are Republicans. They're not either independents or, or Democrats. Again, there may be an exception here or there, but I, 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 I think you have to point that out. Well, we will take your calls on this at 508-996-0500 when we come back from the news. And we can take your app chat messages and open line voicemails as well. Uh, but right now, why don't we go into the newsroom with Kate Robinson. Good morning. The chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee says he does not expect the U.S. to default on its debt. Speaking on ABC's This Week, Texas Republican Congressman Michael McCall said a default is what America's adversaries are hoping for. McCall said a default would be, quote, catastrophic. He added that Republicans have done their part in creating a plan to avoid default, and it's now in President Biden's hands. President Biden wants states to help strengthen background checks on gun buyers younger than 21 to slow the pace of mass shootings. He made the appeal in a weekend op-ed in USA Today. Biden wrote that he'll call for states to enact laws that give the federal background check system, quote, access to all records that could prohibit someone under age 21 from purchasing a firearm. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley isn't taking sides in a recent lawsuit involving her party's frontrunner. Trey Thomas reports. When asked on CBS's Face the Nation about former President Trump being found legally liable for sexual assault and defamation, Haley responded. There's a verdict and I think there's been an appeal and I think it stands where it stands and I think the American people need to make a decision based on that. Trump is appealing the lawsuit won last week by author E. Jean Carroll, who claimed he raped her back in the 90s. I'm Trey Thomas. The mayor of a southeast Texas border town says they're still on high alert, but, quote, not overwhelmed. Speaking on CBS's Face the Nation, Laredo Mayor Victor Trevino says everything the city has done since issuing a declaration of emergency has, quote, held up. He says the big flow many were predicting has not arrived yet. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says an upcoming military counteroffensive is aimed at freeing occupied territory in his nation. Speaking in Berlin Sunday, Zelensky said, quote, We don't attack Russian territory. We liberate our own legitimate territory. 
He spoke at a joint news conference with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz hours after Germany announced a $3 billion military assistance package for Ukraine. Newly announced Twitter CEO Linda Yaccarino is giving her thanks to Elon Musk on the platform. Yaccarino tweeted she's long been inspired by Musk's vision to, quote, create a brighter future, adding that she was excited to build Twitter 2.0. Musk announced Friday that the former NBC Universal chair of global advertising and partnerships would take over for him as CEO. General Motors is announcing the recall of nearly 1 million vehicles due to faulty airbags. The recall includes Buick Enclave, Chevrolet Traverse, and GMC Acadia vehicles from 2014 through 2017 with airbags produced by ARC Automotive. Federal regulators are urging ARC to announce a full recall of 67 million of their airbag inflators made before 2018 after it was discovered they could explode and spray shrapnel during deployment. And astronomers have identified a cosmic explosion 100 times the size of our solar system. Mark Mayfield has the story. The biggest cosmic explosion ever observed suddenly started blazing in the distant universe more than three years ago. Today, astronomers are offering what they believe is the most likely explanation for the explosion. They say the explosion is the result of a vast cloud of gas, possibly thousands of times bigger than our sun, that has been violently disrupted by a supermassive black hole. The explosion took place nearly 8 billion light years away. I'm Mark Mayfield. In sports, the Celtics are moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Boston blew out the Philadelphia 76ers 112-88 in Game 7 at TD Garden. On Wednesday night, the Seas host the Miami Heat in Game 1. And the Red Sox lost to the St. Louis Cardinals Sunday night 9-1. Next game with the Seattle Mariners tonight. Now for a look at your local forecast from ABC6. Well, we kick off the week with some mild temperatures, but we do have some cooler air that's going to return by midweek. For today, we're going to warm up very quickly. We'll see some light winds out of the west, mostly sunny skies for today with a high reaching about 73. Overnight tonight, we're going to get down into about 52 degrees and for tomorrow, partly cloudy skies, breezy and warm, high of 75. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Skylar Spindler on New Bedford's News Talk Station 1420 WBSM. Right now it is 58 degrees and sunny. I'm Kay Robinson for WBSM News. Stay up to date with WBSM, New Bedford's news talk station. And get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app. News alerts, stream audio, send us text messages, and get live traffic and weather updates all on the WBSM app. Download it now from your app store or at WBSM.com. And yeah, you can send in app chat messages there. By the way, we are turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light, who is here with us. And uh, you can give us a call at 508-996-0500. But we did get an app chat message from Jeff B. in New Bedford who says, uh, MFI, the Mass Family Institute, is anti-gay marriage, anti-gambling, anti-porn, and anti-sex ed. They're a fundamentalist Christian organization. And that's where I have an issue with a lot of what's going on here in these school committee races is there is a little bit too much religion coming into what should be something that is free of religious influence. Yeah, there are also progressive Christian interpretations of the Bible and, um, you know, some of the uh, uh, progressive uh, Christian groups like the uh, United Church of Christ and uh, the Methodists, some of the other ones, uh, the Episcopalians, have become much more um, 
uh, LGBTQ inclusive on the theory that it was a different culture, you know, back at the time the Bible was written. Um, so they have a, a different interpretation of the Bible. So I don't think that, I mean, yes, you can say fundamentalist Christian, but that's, that's not the only Christians. There are other Christians out there that have a more progressive um, interpretation of things. Well, that certainly is the case for the, for the MFI. That, that perspective. But do you, do you think that there is too much? I mean, if you look at what's gone on in Florida and the influence of, of how that's gone on, there is a lot of religion at the, at the outskirts of these issues. And, and I, that's what bothers me more than anything is that it's your opinion on it is being formed by your religious beliefs. And that's not supposed to set public policy in this country. So we've been discussing discussing the separation of church and state since the country's founding. Um, as we know, the country's founders, Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. They, they were not people who were particularly Christian in their outlook. They were people who believed that God created the universe and, and then just left it alone. Um, so, you know, what, what is the proper role? Is think something that's long been debated? How much, you know, what does separation of church and state mean? Does it mean that you can have absolutely no mention of religion or does it mean that all religions have to have equal footing um i mean we have this issue locally anybody who's been to the um, city council meeting knows that they often start off with a christian prayer um or, or prayer that 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 you know can be christian not always um i think that um you know it would be interesting to know if they started off with a muslim prayer or a buddhist prayer or a, um I'm trying to think of a hindu prayer uh you know uh, how that would be received. There are increasing amounts of Muslims in the area, um, some Buddhists in the area. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, some people would say, no, there should be no prayer at city council. I'm kind of opening a can of worms here. But but this issue of separation in church and state, how much is too much? Other people say, oh, no, we should have nothing but a moment of silence where people can bow their heads. Is that is that too strict? Is that a prohibition against religion? I go back and forth on this issue myself, but one thing I do feel is that if you're going to allow Christian prayers, you've got to allow prayers for everyone. I know you've touched on this on the um, the decorations in the public parks um, a, a little bit, but I, I think this is an age-old issue, and people are going to um, uh, continue to discuss it. But a lot of people, their view is that this is a Christian country, and it needs to return to being a Christian country, but is it? Was it founded that way? I mean, as, as somebody who is not religious, like if, it, if we say, you know, one nation under God and the Pledge of Allegiance, or if we put in God we trust on the back of our money, uh, that doesn't, that, I don't see that as an issue. I don't have a problem with that. But I do have a problem with when people stand up and say, well, we can't allow gay marriage because, you know, the Bible is against, you know, gay relationships. I don't, I don't go that far with it. So that's, that's where, I mean, if something is that important, didn't Jesus have nothing to say about LGBTQ issues? Just absolutely nothing to say. I mean, other people in the Bible have said something to say, but the person who was uh, said to be God himself says nothing on it. How important an issue is it if he said nothing on it? It's true. Although, uh, you know, maybe if he did say something, it didn't make it into the book either. That's possible. Uh, we do have to take our next break. If you want to call in and chime in, 508-996-0500, or you can hit us up on App Chat or open line voicemails on the WBSM app. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
All right, welcome back in. We are turning on the light with Jack Spillane. It's something that I normally do at 11 a.m. on Mondays, but we moved it to 8 a.m. this morning, and we've been able to cover quite a bit. But I know, Jack, in the last segment, we were talking about the the city council and the prayers that they have uh, at the starts of at the start of meetings. And I know that you wanted to clarify something. You yeah, said. I just want to correct myself a little bit. The, the council, as far as I know, does uh, allow certainly the Jewish faith, and I believe the Muslim faith. Uh, where, which is active in the community now to lead prayers also, but they're primarily Christian. And I was just trying to make the point that some people who are atheists or whatever might prefer just a moment of silence. And so that I was just trying to use that as an illustration of this church and, and state debate. You know, how much, you know, some people think it should just be a moment of silence. Some people think it should be nothing because they think that church and state divide, it goes that far. Other people say, no, it just means that you can't favor one particular religion, religion over another. But there are groups in this country who um, think that this is a Christian nation and other groups that think it's a white Christian nation. And so those are the things that we have on the um, public discussion right now. And so I, I was just trying to, to, to use that as an illustration. I, I have a friend who's an educator in Indiana and he uses the phrase, instead of saying a moment of silence, because as he said, like, Kids, kids aren't going to stay. It's almost like it's a challenge to call it a moment of silence to young kids to say, you know, we're going to be silent for a moment. Somebody's going to have to do something stupid to try to break that up. But he called it a moment of reflection in his classroom. And he said, you know, just before we start the day, it's a moment of reflection. That might be praying to God to help you through the day. That might be just thinking about the mistakes that you made the day before that you don't want to make again today. That might be thinking about what you want the best possible outcome of this day to be. But whatever it is, it's yours. And it's not something that you need to tell anybody else about and share with anybody else. And he's, he felt that that worked effectively to, to call it a moment of reflection. Yeah, I feel, I feel personally like I'm open to all these things. Um, I, I just think that this debate as to what is the separation of church and state and where does the wall lie? Does it lie here on, the, you know, on this side or does it lie there? Is something that we've been debated debating since the beginning of the country and that we have right here in New Bedford. So, You know, it's funny too because I was having a conversation last week uh, out in the hallways with some folks about the national anthem. Um, because, you know, Mark Levin, who's on this program tonight, uses the national anthem as his intro music. And I was saying how in the course of my career as a sports writer, I've probably heard the national anthem more than most people have. Um, and certainly, you know, you get somebody like a Buddy Thomas, who's been covering high school sports for 50 plus years. You know, imagine how many times he's heard the national anthem. But it brings up that interesting point of we only play it at certain things. So if we go to a sporting event, we're going to play the national anthem. But if you go to that same building for a concert, they don't play the national anthem before before things start. It's it's odd how we've uh, kind of picked and chosen where we're going to apply that to. Yeah, um, sort of like um, sporting events is where you most frequently hear the national anthem and maybe an inauguration or some sort of important governmental ceremony. But you never hear it at arts and cultural um, events. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's another question that can be debated. Is it, is it overdone? Um, uh, when I was growing up, there was a big debate as to should the national anthem be replaced by America the Beautiful, which is um, a less militaristic um, uh, version, uh, patriotic song. Uh, these are all good, good questions to um, discuss, and uh, they've been discussing them from time immemorial, and I guess we'll continue to discuss them. It is interesting when you look at some of the, the backgrounds of where our patriotic songs came from, and how we just cribbed a lot of them from other places. Uh, I was watching the, uh, and, and I got sucked up into it, and I didn't mean to watch it, but I watched the coronation of King Charles, and, uh, you know, they start playing You're a Grand Old Flag, and I'm like, wait, what? And then you find out that's actually, you know, a very famous English song. And, and my country, Tis of Thee, I think is the same melody as God Save the King. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it's uh, it's 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 just weird how much you know. We I guess uh, at the time it was important for them to do that because one, it was a way of kind of it was like a middle finger to England to say we're going to take your time honored songs and create our own lyrics to it, but also it kept it familiar for people so that they would be able to adapt and, and, and yeah, take in these it's, new it's songs. It's just like the Anglican Church in America was called the Episcopalian Church. Fun fact, no American president have, has ever gone to the coronation of a king or queen, and I don't think that's by accident. Really? Wow. I, I, I learned that from watching the coronation, because I guess First Lady Jill Biden was there, but neither President Biden nor Vice President Kamala Harris was there, and then the... Um, uh, the host uh, then said no American president, in fact, has ever gone to a coronation, which makes sense if you think that the country was founded in a revolution against King George III. Well, and they were talking about a lot of leaders of some of the actual, you know, colonies and commonwealths that are within the reign of, uh, you know, that are within, within the empire of, of uh, Great Britain. And they were debating whether or not to send people. Like Australia didn't send anybody, from my understanding. Yes, because of the history of slavery, the, the history of abuse of indigenous, indigenous peoples. Um, and I, and I, I have to say, I found the whole thing a little bit ridiculous, and part of that is because I grew up with the imperial margarine uh, commercials where the crown goes down <laughs> on the person eating butter because it's not butter. And so they're putting this big crown on the, the silly old crown on this old man. It just seemed, this is just crazy. <laughs> I just I was looking at it for the historical value of it and the fact that like they're bringing out these items that are like three or four hundred years old and like here hold this and then they hand it to another person like here hold this like I would not want to be the person in charge of holding any of those things <laughs> yeah just seems a little bit and, uh, and, and just think of what a mass culture we live in and I'm thinking to myself why are they putting imperial margarine crowns on them. <laughs> <laughs> I did say to you the other day when we were talking about this, I said, I hope that they change the, you know, the velvet part inside from person to person because I can't imagine that, that that's easy to clean, you know? Well, the last time it was taken out was, what, 70 years ago? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, she, maybe they wear it from time to time. <laughs> I, I would just walk around in it. I'd be walking around Buckingham Palace like in my boxers and the crown. <laughs> Be like King Ralph if I was uh, if I was elected. 508-996-0500 if you want to get involved in the conversation here. And uh, why don't we take our final break of the hour and then we can finish things up uh, again. If you want to send in uh, app chat on the WBSM app, you can do that. If you want to send in an open line voicemail, you can do that as well. Uh, we'll be here with you until 9 o'clock. And then coming up at 9 o'clock, Brian Thomas is going to be in and he will have you until noon. So uh, you can look forward to talking with Brian as well. We'll take a break and be back in a few moments. Welcome back. Our final few moments of turning on the light with Jack's Blaine. Jack, let me paint a scenario for you in the few minutes we have left. You see something on Facebook that says the MBTA is no longer coming to New Bedford because of the problems with Mayor Mitchell. And you see that. And what do you do as a journalist as soon as you see that? Check it out. Right? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you just, I mean, it's not like you don't know the phone numbers of the people who are involved, the Gene Fox and the, or the MBTA contact people. They send out an email every week to all the media about South Coast Rail updates. I mean, it's easy to figure out who to contact with a question like that. So the traditional world of journalism where you and I grew up in, you fact-checked, you verify, you vet stories before you, before you publish them. You, know, you go to the sources. If you can't go to the sources, you go to secondary sources. You try to build a case. Sometimes you have to do it with anonymous sources, but you verify the story. But in social media, we have graduated or, or, or regressed into a world of whatever anybody sitting in their mother's basement puts up on, on in Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you know, you name it, and then they make 
more people get their news and information from those than any of us. And, you know, it's it's made everything... Less accurate. I couldn't believe it. Like, even looking at it, like, there's no, I, you know, we have the screenshot in our story. There's no way to look at that and think to yourself that that's an official statement. That that, that, that person is a person that should be cited for that. You yeah. had to do it just for clickbait purposes, I, I, knowing it was false. I mean, uh, we're talking about uh, a local publication that, that, that published such a thing. And, um, you know, uh, there are all kinds of publications now, and they're doing things according to different rules. Uh, But um, it's hard to think of that as traditional journalism. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, at least least it made for an interesting afternoon around here as we're like, (laughs) there's no way this is true, especially since the original post said fake news down in the corner. (laughs) But but we're laughing about it now, but the reach of some of these publications is greater than the reach of traditional journalism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why a lot of people think that democracy is in trouble um, in this country because a lot of people are getting their news from these unvetted sources. That just share information and people share information from them. And if enough people say it, even though it's false, if enough people are saying it, people will assume that it's true. So, well, I will tell you this. It's not a rumor that uh, coming up after me uh, in the next couple of hours here you're gonna have from nine to noon brian thomas will be here and uh he will be carrying you through until noon when uh, we will be joined by bill o'reilly then after that barry richard will be back we'll have howie carr then south coast tonight so we've got a full lineup for you uh today and this evening without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.